You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the 311th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Christopher Snyder, author of the book Hobbit Virtues, Rediscovering Virtue Ethics Through J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Stay tuned for the interview. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen to audiobooks during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Reading and writing podcast special offer, get two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership with code RWPODCAST. That's code RWPODCAST for two audiobooks for the price of one for your first month of membership at Libro.fm. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Christopher Snyder, author of the new book, Hobbit Virtues. Snyder is the founding dean at the of the Shackles Honors College at Mississippi State University and a professor of European history. He is also a visiting fellow at the University of Oxford, and he's also the author of The Making of Middle-Earth and Gatsby's Oxford. Christopher, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's nice to chat. Sure. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your book, Hobbit Virtues yet. How would you describe the book? <laughs> uh, well, it is a book about classical virtue ethics, um, but in a very accessible way through the lens of the fiction of J.R.R. Tolkien, especially looking at his depiction of hobbits in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And if someone listening is not familiar with the phrase virtue ethics, how would you describe that for the listeners? Sure. So, Virtue ethics was sort of a, a, a category, an area of philosophy that was invented probably by Socrates, or at least he's the first on record uh, as a philosopher. So Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle um, are primarily given credit for this way of uh, viewing um, morality and, and ethics, uh, rational choices, categorizing them, that kind of thing. Um, of course, it happens in, in all uh, world religions. So classical virtue ethics sort of, sort of starts with Plato and Aristotle, um, but it, uh, 
It's something that theologians talk about in Judaism and Christianity and Islam and Hinduism, Buddhism. And my book really covers all of that ground, all of the ancient and medieval philosophies and, and world religions. I'm really interested in how much they overlap in their recognition of virtues. And so you obviously have an interest in J.R. Tolkien with this book and your and the previous book that you had written about Tolkien. What was your first experience reading um, Tolkien? Gosh, um, I'm kind of a, a child of the TV generation. So I think I grew up as a child watching the cartoon versions of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit um, before I tackled reading them. Um, I think in college probably is when I started reading Tolkien, um, certainly The Hobbit. It took me a while to get into The Lord of the Rings. A lot of people have that problem that there's an awful lot of Hobbit talk, not a lot of action going on in that first book. Um, so it, it wasn't immediately a huge fan of Tolkien's fiction. Um, I was, at the time, training as a medievalist, and Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were both medievalists. So I was reading their academic works all along, but I think it really wasn't until um, my kind of late 20s that I sort of became a real fan of Tolkien's fiction. And what is a medievalist? Is that someone who studies uh, medieval, medieval history? That's right, yeah. So my, my training is primarily in ancient and early medieval uh, European history and archaeology. Um, I've also written quite a bit on King Arthur. So Arthurian studies and medieval studies um, are, are, are very overlapping areas. And uh, Tolkien has now become um, a really, uh, really popular subject, not just generally, but medievalists are really interested in looking at how he used medieval sources, uh, both as a scholar and as a writer of fiction. And um, so was there a specific idea or impetus that led you to writing Hobbit Virtues? And I should add that the full title of the book is Hobbit Virtues, Rediscovering Virtue Ethics Through J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. And I'm just curious, what, what led you to writing this book? The impetus for this project was really um, after the 2016 presidential election, um, after the Brexit voting, um, probably a lot of people felt this way, but there, there, the civil discourse wasn't very civil. Um, an awful lot of rancor, a, a lot of uh, um, name calling and misunderstanding and people, even in the same cultures, the same families, um, weren't doing a very good job of talking to one another. And I was trying to think of a, a very positive way to deal with that. And I thought that virtue ethics is something that even if you're a different uh, member of a different political party or or race or religion, that you can still recognize classical virtues when they appear, um, either in literature and film or, or in real life, that we, we tend to respond to things like courage and self-sacrifice uh, when we see it in a positive way, regardless of, of our backgrounds. So it used to be kind of a, a language that we could speak to each other uh, with, and I felt like culturally we'd, we'd lost track of that a little bit. And so I wanted to write something. I was working on a handout for my students about comparative virtue ethics. And I thought, well, maybe I could develop this into a book. Uh, and then uh, I decided to focus it particularly not just on Tolkien, but on the hobbits. I think being the little people, uh, the overlooked and the marginalized, they have a, a very um, peculiar and interesting 
uh, perspective on the world of the big folk, politics and business and all of these things. I think uh, that it's hard for many of us to imagine ourselves as as a, a warrior king or an elf or something, but I think a lot of us can 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 relate to hobbits. Well, that kind of segues into my next question. As, as we sit here in 2020 dealing with a global pandemic, which sadly didn't take too long before it has resulted in um, an angry divide between Americans and how different um, different people in in the U.S. and in different states are are reacting to, to the pandemic. Um, what do you think Tolkien and the virtues in Tolkien have to offer us today in terms of this kind of conversation and discourse? Well, I think, first of all, the Hobbit lifestyle would be one that would be a little more conducive to um, social distancing. (laughs) (laughs) Hobbits live in in small villages, small towns. Um, They don't tend to travel a lot. They don't like uh, big machines. They don't like complicated machinery. Um, Their lifestyle is very much agrarian, very much related to growing food and eating food, um, drinking beer, smoking pipes, that kind of thing. Uh, so the the social aspect of what's going on, how much we miss the interaction. I, I, I think that, you know, that I've been thinking about that a lot in, in, in writing the book um, and editing the book. And I, I think that the hobbits would, like us, be missing some of those social in, interactions. Um, but in terms of uh, our, our talking to each other, um, we, we're, we're trying to do the best with the technology we have, right? So podcasts are, are one of the ways that we can stay in contact with one another um, because that, that social uh, side of who they are is really important, especially this notion of fellowship. And so there's a chapter in the book on fellowships, uh, not just friendship, but particularly the way Tolkien defines fellowship. Um, so, as you mentioned earlier, you explore Tolkien's writings and ideas both from Eastern philosophies and, and religions as, as well as Christianity. Um, do you think one of those predominates in Tolkien's fictional universe? Well, of course, Tolkien was a devout Catholic. Um, he was a medievalist. He was a, a professional scholar of European literature and especially of the the literature of the early Middle Ages in um, in, in Britain and in Northern Europe. Um, so those virtues in that and those literatures they're going to be especially heavy and, and resonate with him. Uh, he was influenced by lots of things, not so much um, Eastern religion or something like Buddhism or or Hindu mythology, um, but his friend C.S. Lewis. Um, was more expansive in what he wrote about. And he um, did a little exercise called the Tao uh, in which he looked at the way that the religious codes of the world and philosophies overlap so much and what we identify as virtuous behavior and vile behavior. And uh, he called it the way or the Tao. Um, So he he very much was looking at at, uh, Eastern religions and seeing how all of us either are born with this recognition of virtue. Um, for Lewis, he would say we are created with it. It's a reflection of what the creator wanted. But it, but it also it kind of works in other philosophies, um, in, in biological evolution. You could say that natural selection allowed those um, creatures who exhibited these virtues to survive over time, to be selected. Um, so it, it really is a common language 
throughout the world, if, if we can recognize it, again, especially in, in literature and film, and Tolkien's books, as you know, um, probably are uh, published in dozens of languages and were successful all around the world, as the films have been. And that, that's a good sign for us, I think, recognizing not just a good story and good characters, but the behavior of good characters or the good behavior of characters. <laughs> uh, that kind of segues uh, exactly into what I was going to ask you next. Um, Tolkien was a veteran of World War One. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And The Fellowship of the Ring, the first volume in The Lord of the Rings, was published in July of 1954. Why do you think, and you probably just answered it, why do you think Tolkien's work has stood the test of time and are still bestseller, uh, best-selling books today? Yeah, so in, in, in my last two book projects, I spent a lot of time in Oxford, in particular, looking at the years around World War One and, and just after the war, uh, the experiences that C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien had at that time, but also other writers, too, and people like F. Scott Fitzgerald, who, who wrote from that the, the war generation um, perspective. And it certainly shapes the way um, they view they view war and, and politics. But but uh, all three of those authors chose to explore these themes through uh, medieval uh, ways, uh, telling quest stories, uh, telling stories about kind of larger than life heroic figures, even if they're flaw flawed heroes. And I, and I think that regardless of our, our culture, our geographic region, whatever, we recognize uh, those heroes, those archetypes almost when they appear uh, in any kind of literature or, or if they appear in, in, the, in the political stage, we can recognize them. And going back to the pandemic, I, I write a lot about courage in, uh, in this book as a, as a chief virtue, one that a lot of people wouldn't expect little hobbits to be courageous. Um, but they display both physical courage and moral courage. Uh, Aristotle thought both of those things were important. And I think what we're seeing with first responders, uh, with medical professionals, is an awful lot of courage right now um, and courage with people fighting the disease as well. So I think it's, it's very timely that we are looking at some of these virtues. Is there a specific virtue in the book that resonates with you personally? I would say that kind of the foundational virtue is humility. Uh, I think Tolkien very much knew what he was doing in creating the Hobbit as a small creature who lives under the earth or burrows holes into the earth because humility comes from the Latin word humus, which means earth. And Hobbits are literally um, down to earth, close to their roots of things. And I think Thomas Aquinas, who was a, a, another philosopher that Tolkien would have been inspired by, um, wrote a lot about humility as a, as a key to other virtues. Um, we, we can, if we start at a humble place, that doesn't mean false humility. That doesn't mean LeBron James um, pretending he's not a great basketball player. It's, it's humility is really walking in the true light of who you are. 
And so understanding what you can do, what your limitations are, I think is really important as you set off on kind of a quest, on a virtue quest to respond to situations in ways that are courageous or sacrificing or loving. I think if you go back to starting with humility, you're more likely to have success in those quests. Well, in the early 2000s, people started listing Jediism as a religion on their national <laughs> census. In 2001, 70,000 people in Australia listed Jediism as their religion in the national census. Um, and obviously, Jediism is, is obviously based on the philosophies from George Lucas's fictional universe. Um, and then at the same time, uh, we have a number of surveys over the last 10 to 15 years that show in Western countries a pretty steep increase in people listing no religious affiliation. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, have you considered why people are seeking philosophy or religion from popular culture? Well, I think we all always have, and Tolkien knew that storytelling was essential. So storytelling is, is another virtue that I, I talk about. I think it's something we can all do utilizing different ways, but we can tell stories. And, uh, and, and Tolkien really saw that as, as important. So religions do best when they tell these stories, right? When they, when, they, when they use myth as a vehicle to tell stories across time. Uh, this is what I tell my students about dragons. Uh, when I say dragons are real, dragons are real because they're a myth in many cultures that convey this idea of violence and greed uh, and, 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 and a wise, intelligent evil. The, Many stories in the West tell those, or many many religions and, and traditions tell those similar stories. So I think the the Jedi and Star Wars fans in particular are responding to literature or film in, in a very similar way that Tolkien did. And if you if you look at interviews with George Lucas, um, Peter Jackson, they they influenced each other quite a bit. And George Lucas was influenced by a, a guy named Joseph Campbell. Um, who wrote about these archetypes in uh, in mythology, in world mythology. So it, it's not that religion is opposed to that at all. Religions all use myths. They use stories to convey religious truths, to convey virtues. I think it's just that perhaps the films are doing that a little better right now than uh, other other means of telling stories. I think you could throw in the um, the Marvel Universe and, sure. and uh, comic comics as well. Uh, America's mythology, many people would argue, are are these comic books and the and the films they've generated. But if you if you uh, and I disagree with folks who say they're not art. They think they definitely can be art. They can be doing things like conveying these truths. And if you look at something like the Avengers uh, and see the fate of Iron Man, um, you, you see that we are responding well to self sacrifice. It's not just the hero who is big and strong and brags about their strength, but sometimes it's just the person who makes that sacrifice for others that we respond to. So you've written about and studied Tolkien for this book and for an earlier book, The Making of Middle Earth. Did you discover anything in your research about Tolkien that surprised you? He wasn't a very good student when he started at uh, university. <laughs> I think that, that surprised me a bit. He was uh, a classics major, uh, as a lot of people were at Oxford, and he did not do very well in his first year exams. Uh, he was distracted by learning languages that were not Greek and Latin. Uh, and so after his first year exams, he had a very kind 
mentor who told him, you might want to consider an English major, um, <laughs> which had just been created at Oxford. And he's, he, he found himself in English literature and, and Anglo-Saxon literature in particular. Uh, so I was kind of interested to see that as smart as he was, a man who easily spoke and translated over 20 languages, uh, still was, was struggling with something that he was majoring in because that's not where his heart was. His heart really wasn't with Greco-Roman authors. It was really with Beowulf and the Kalevala and the Eddas, the Norse mythology. That's what he really loved. So it took, took him a while to discover that. <laughs> so are you planning or working on your next book yet? Uh, I, I'm really debating about, about the next <laughs> book project. Um, I, I've been working on a book on higher education and um, got a long way into that book, but with uh, the challenges that the pandemic have thrown to uh, educators and administrators, you know, that, that book will have to take a turn um, in, in, in its direction. Um, I, I certainly like writing about authors, um, I, even though I'm a historian, I wrote a lot about the early Middle Ages and early medieval Britain. Um, I do like writing about uh, how authors um, use the past, um, not just the Middle Ages or medieval, but medievalism, our interpretation of the past. That matters to the success of, of Tolkien and Lewis and Harry Potter in large part is because they're medievalists in the sense that they're using this medievalism, this reimagining of the past. Game of Thrones would be another example of that. So there are lots of ideas bubbling around right now. And so what books have you read recently that you would recommend, either fiction or nonfiction? Oh, jeez. Um, uh, I'm reading all kinds of things because of my teaching as well. And... Um, uh, my, I borrowed a book uh, uh, of Gandhi's writings from my daughter. Gandhi had been a hero of mine in college and read, read uh, a bit about him, uh, but not a lot of his own writings. And I quite like the Cambridge University Press edition of, of Gandhi's writings. I just taught Betty Friedan's Feminine Mystique, uh, which is a book I'd, I had never read before. And um, I really, really enjoyed the, the approach she was taking in that. Um, I, I don't tend to read a lot of uh, contemporary literature, being a, a medieval historian. Sure. I tend to read a lot of old stuff. Um, but uh, I, 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 I would say it is always worth rereading the classics. So now is a, a perfect time to go back and reread The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings if you haven't in a while. Great. Well, how has the pandemic impacted your teaching and how are you adapting to that? So I was uh, teaching a seminar, uh, an undergraduate seminar, core tech seminar of about 15 students. In the middle of the semester, we had to um, convert that uh, as the students left campus to an online seminar. And I'd never taught online before, and I chose to do it synchronously. So, you know, we used the technology to talk to one another. And I was really skeptical about how that would go. And it, and it, and it surprised me. Uh, it went much better than I thought. Uh, we were able to use the chat feature uh, while talking uh, as well. And uh, I think it partly it succeeded because we missed each other. Um, that even if it's seeing faces on the screen talking to each other that way, we really needed that moment in the day 
to reconnect as teacher and student. And uh, I, I really appreciated their work, their efforts on that. And I had to do a lot of, uh, of, uh, of work too that I wasn't expecting. Uh, so I find that, that my faculty in the Honors College were used to small class sizes and being in these intimate environment with students. And we, we, we just don't have that right now and we hope to get it back soon. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Christopher Snyder, author of the new book, Hobbit Virtues, Rediscovering, Vir Rediscovering Virtue Ethics through J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Go buy the book now. And Christopher, thanks for doing this interview. Well, thanks, Jeff. I really enjoyed my time chatting with you. Great. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.